Thank you for downloading the sermon podcast of Calvary Chapel, Mercer County. Enjoy the message. That was like a little mashup. You know what a mashup is? From something from like a hundred years ago. And what a creative team! It's good to gather with you once again. You guys, as the choir showed up this morning and did a super job. Thank you, uh, just for the blessing of being able to worship alongside of you. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, which is where we are going to settle in here this morning. Last week, we prayed for our mission team that was heading out to uh, Kenya. They arrived. We have a couple of photos, I think, uh, for you. They left yesterday morning. And wait for it. There it is. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if they can hear your clapping. There they are eating. Uh, can you put the one from when they were here in America? Do you still have that? Okay, we're efforting now. So it started, they were in the parking lot. Look at that. Yep. And then show the Kenya one so you kind of see, see how fun. There, see that? It's like a magic trick. Uh, so we're excited for them. They will be there for nine-ish kind of days, uh, so through Thanksgiving into next weekend and things like that. So uh, be praying. As we mentioned, they'll be doing some uh, worship-type um, uh, seminars of sorts um, to help the, the many students there that are interested in leading worship and what it means to worship and, and so on. Uh, they'll also be doing a youth retreat. So lots to be praying for them during the week. Obviously, they'll be away, many of their families are still obviously still here, so just be praying for them, particularly with the holiday uh, this coming week. Uh, as I said, we are in Mark chapter 6, and this is now our third study in Mark 6. I thought we would finish Mark 6 this week, but we're not going to finish Mark 6, so uh, we're camping here a little bit, and I'll remind you just of a couple of things uh, as we begin to move toward our passage of study today. First off, remember Mark chapter 6 begins with Jesus' rejection there in Nazareth, the town that he grew up in, and he makes his way back there, and it seems pretty clear that he had gone back there earlier. Uh, a year or so earlier, and the people were going to throw him off of a cliff, and he goes back there now, he preaches, and, and the people don't respond very well. Who's this guy? He's the carpenter's son, and those types of things. Um, but in, even in that, he's teaching his disciples, you know, you're going to go out, you're going to minister, people are going to reject you. What do you do with that? You just keep on moving, and you keep plugging away, and keep serving. Then we saw that Jesus did indeed send out his disciples two by two to go in the many villages surrounding the Galilee and even inland a little bit. Nazareth, for instance, is inland, 30 minutes or so uh, to walk, probably even longer than that, walking, um, 15 minutes drive or so. It's inland. I walk fast, um, so I would get there quickly, I'm sure. Uh, And and so he's out there and he's ministering. Now look out Mark chapter 6, verse 12. Notice what it says. And so they went out. And they proclaimed to the people, that people, I should say, should repent. That was their message. And they cast out many demons, just as Jesus did. And they anointed many with oil, and many who were sick were healed, just as Jesus was doing. Jesus empowered them and enabled them to go forth and minister as he himself was ministering. The same thing that he does in our lives. This isn't necessarily unusual to them as apostles uh, or anything like that. He sends us forth to minister, to preach the gospel, to pray for people. And God brings healing through his servants um, often. So uh, we do it. Well, what we don't know is how long they went away. 
Was it was it a one weekend kind of thing? Did they go into the villages for a night or a couple of days or was it a month long? We don't really know that. What we do know is when they come back to Jesus, Jesus recognizes that they need a break. So either they're tired or they've gotten off focused or whatever it may be, but that's when he reaches out to him. He says, let's go to the other side uh, of the, the Galilee. Let's get to a desolate place. Let's rest a bit. Look at verse 30. This is all review. Okay, sorry. Uh, and this doesn't count toward my time. I just want that to be clear. All right, verse 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and they told them him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and, and let's rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in, a boat, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, we don't know exactly where that desolate place is. Tradition tells us a few different places, uh, more modern tradition, if that's such a thing, um, based on archaeological finds and things like that, is beginning to point to a different place from what uh, traditional history has um, told us. But the plan is, remember, to get away and to rest. We're going to go to a place where there's not a lot of people. They're not going to be pressing in on us and wanting something from us. We're just going to go and we're going to rest for a while. That's their plan. But as you can see, their plan was not reality. And you've experienced that, haven't you? you got great plans for the day. And you wake up and it's about a minute in and those plans are gone. You have great plans for your life, maybe. And many of us do. We set these grand plans for us when we're younger. And things don't really go that way, do they, sometimes? Many times. And so these guys had a plan, but their plan was not reality. Look at 33. It says, Now many saw them going, and they recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. I, I, I picture Forrest Gump. And, you know, he's running, and uh, where are you going? You know, well, come on. And then two, and then five, and then 100, and then 500. And as we're going to see, thousands of people... The, the group just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and they get there ahead of Jesus. They were going to rest, and there is no rest. There's a group of people that is there in front of them. Now, I suspect the boat ride itself could have been a rest. It seems as if they took their time on the boat, that they weren't rushing to get to the other side uh, of that, and so that gave them a little bit of a rest, but the plan was to get there where there wouldn't be people. And they could just have their ease in that spot. But again, as you see, a large crowd runs ahead of them. Now, we call it the Sea of Galilee. It's not really a sea. It's a lake. So it's not like they ran to the other side of the ocean or something like that. It's a lake. It's about 13 miles from top to bottom, about seven or eight miles um, from left to right. And so at the most, if they were the like nine on the dial and three on the dial, at the most, they're going to run something like 17 miles here. But more particularly, if you can show that next slide, John, the area that they, they probably ended up is just north of that little place called Hippos. It's a desolate spot. It was a desolate spot then. It continues to pretty much remain a desolate spot. And they probably came from the area of Capernaum. That was kind of like their, their home spot. So that little bit, of, that's about four miles of a boat ride. It's about 10 miles or so of a walk or a jog or a run. And if the disciples are taking their time out there on the sea, if they're just sort of at ease, maybe they're, swim, they're uh, sailing against the wind, uh, and that's slowing them down. It's not inconceivable to think that the folks could have jotted there ahead, or jogged there ahead of them and gotten there ahead of them. In fact, that's what it says happened. Verse 33, it said, many saw them going and recognized them. Hey, there's Jesus. There's his disciples. And so they run there on foot from all the towns, and they got there ahead of them. Again, I picture Forrest Gump. 
and it just gathers and gathers and gathers and gathers until it's thousands of them. Before they could actually enjoy a rest, a great crowd has gathered. And I'm sure the disciples are delighted, as you can imagine. You've probably been in that spot where you're just going to have your ease, and then ding-dong, the doorbell rings, and suddenly there's a task that is ahead of you. And that's what's going on here. The demands of life, the demands of ministry are once more pressing in on them. I have to imagine, because it's how I would probably feel, they're a little bit annoyed by that. This was supposed to be my day off. I've gone on many a mission trip, and we usually factor in half a day during that trip. Because you're running, you're pushing, you're really going, and we factor in about a half a day, we're just going to relax on this day. And so if we're in Belize, we're going to go and swim in the ocean or, or something like that. Or if we're somewhere else, we're going to go, and we're just going to relax. Well, imagine if that's your relaxed day, and you've been working all week toward it, only to discover that, wait a minute, no relax? Ministry? More ministry? Now we love ministry. But when you're not expecting it, it becomes a little difficult. And you can expect that they might be or anticipate they might be a little frustrated. Jesus, though, notice, Jesus isn't frustrated. First off, some of you are looking at me like, what kind of a person are you? All right? I know. I'm just trying to be honest with you here. That's how I get a little bit here. Uh, Jesus, though, notice, Jesus isn't frustrated. Even though the disciples could have been, maybe they were, Jesus isn't. And rather, notice what the verse says, Jesus is moved with compassion. I remember Pastor Scott Taransky, when he was pastor in our fellowship, he would always quote this word in Greek, and it's the word splankna. I'm not sure why it stood out to me, but I just remember that word. It's the Greek word splankna. Jesus had compassion on them. And this, then, is one more lesson for the disciples. Remember that Jesus is ministering to people, but he's also training up his disciples at the same time. And he's really been concentrating on that since Mark chapter 3. Well, here becomes a lesson for them. And the lesson is this. Rest is needed at times. That's what we talked about last week. Rest is needed at times from the, the, just the busyness of life and particularly the busyness of ministry in these guys' situation here. But here's the more important lesson, or the overriding lesson, and it is this. Life doesn't always operate according to our plans. And if we expect that it is going to, we're going to get angry, and we're going to get frustrated, and this isn't right, and God, I can't believe, and all those types of things. The minister of Christ, and I'm not talking about capital M, the official minister, each one of us going out to serve the Lord, that's what the word minister means, needs to roll with those changes of plan. You'll have to almost anticipate and expect that they're likely going to come and then adjust with them. As a parent, you have to expect that they're going to come and adjust with them. I told you earlier, I used to, I started a long time ago when the kids were little. Once the kids got up, things got busy in the home, loud in the home, noisy, kids needed things and so on and so forth. And so I, I just began to work in, I'm going to get up early in the morning before they get up so I could just have a time to meet with the Lord, to pray, to read, to get ready for the day that is ahead of me. And so you set your alarm and you're tired and you want to sleep a little long, but you get up and you go out and you try to be as quiet as you can. Because if they hear a creak, they're going to get up with you. And then, of course, you know, you just sit down, you have your coffee, you're ready to go, and these little feet come walking into the room. And I, I honestly, I was always like, ah, great, you know. And I, I kind of told myself, I don't want my kids to see my face like, angry, frustrated, bothered by their presence. I certainly didn't want to ask them the question of, why are you here? You should be sleeping or whatever. And so you try and fake it as best you can. Hey, it's so great, you know, that you're here and all that kind of stuff. But your life does, particularly as parents, 
It doesn't go. You just want to go to the bathroom for a few minutes, moms. And you got kids coming in asking for help. And, and what do you say? You say, where is your father? And that's what you say. You know, that, that always comes out. Life doesn't always operate according to plans. Now, the disciples, perhaps, if they're like me, saw this as an annoying mob of people. Jesus, on the other hand, he sees the people that are in need. And so he begins to teach those people. And it says there that he welcomes them, or I think the word is he receives them. Luke chapter 9, actually, it's in one of the other accounts of this passage. This passage, by the way, is... Uh, in all four Gospels, there's only two miracles that are recorded in all four Gospels. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and Jesus, what he's about to do, I don't want to ruin the story, but the feeding of the 5,000 people. So something about this particular story just resonated with each one of the Gospel writers or those that were um, giving them the information for the Gospels there. And Luke chapter 9 says, And the people, when they knew it, followed him, knew that it was his boat, followed him, and he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that, that had need of healing. He received them. Now, there's a way to receive someone that isn't very receptive. And you've probably been in that circumstance where uh, the DMV worker, I don't want to throw them under the bus, but it's 4.58 and they're about to leave and you get up in line next and they have to see you because they close at 5 or 4 or whatever the time is that they close. And they receive you, but they're not very receptive. Amen? Have you been there? All right, into that particular place. And you know what they're, that they don't like you. They don't want anything to do with you, but they are forced to do so. Well, that's not what's going on here. I paint that whole scenario to tell you that's not what's happening. Jesus welcomes them. He receives them. He's glad, if you will, that they are there. And so the disciples may be frustrated because this is an intrusion on their time, but Jesus sees this as an opportunity, and he recognizes the need of the crowd. Look at verse 34. He says he sees them as if they were sheep without a shepherd. And that, that helplessness that he sees in them, sheep without a shepherd become a helpless creature, that helplessness moves him to have compassion on them. And as we see, he begins to teach them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They, they were wandering around without a spiritual guide. They were hungry, and they were without defense. And that's the, one of the jobs of the shepherd, is to defend those sheep, to lead them to still waters, and all those terms that we're familiar with in our study of the Scripture. And so Jesus sees them. He's moved with compassion. That means he feels he has to do something and so he begins to teach them. And Mark points out that he taught them many things. And because he had taught them many things now, it be, it, this means this is a very, very long day. And so they had gathered back together again early in the morning, breakfast time, lunchtime, who knows exactly. But they had gathered back together, began to share stories. They get in a boat. They take the trip across to the other side. And Jesus begins to teach them. This is now becoming a long day. Mark says that it grew late. We see that in the verse there. Luke tells us in his uh, passage that the day was drawing to a close. Matthew says when evening had come. And so we're getting into that dinner time, supper time uh, of the day, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock or so, just before the sun is about to set. And if the crowds that are there are going to get home before it gets too late, then they need to start leaving now because it's going to get dark pretty soon. 
And so the disciples come to Jesus and they, they essentially say, all right, Jesus, let's wrap it up. All right, finish up. Give me an amen. All right, and draw to a close. Now you'll notice it's not a request on their part. It's not as if they're coming to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, do you think it would be a good idea if you start wrapping it up? The people, they got to get home. There, there's no question mark. This is essentially a command on their part where they're, they're entering in and they're saying, Jesus, you need to send the people home. You need to send them away so that they can go find some food. They say, look, it's getting late. We're in a desolate place. There's no hotels out here. There's no fast food restaurants out here. You got to send the people on their way. And that's what they tell them. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside to buy food for themselves. Now, notice Jesus' response. It's the exact opposite. Jesus says, you don't have to send them away. You give them something to eat, he says to them. The voice of the apostles was, send them away. The voice of Jesus was, you give them something to eat. Notice that. Both Jesus and the apostles saw the exact same problem. But they had completely different ways of addressing that problem. The disciples were to send them away. Jesus was, you give them something to eat. The disciples said, look, the people are tired and hungry. Send them away. Jesus said, look, the people are tired and hungry. We have to do something. Again, he was moved with compassion. Now, according to John's gospel, for some reason now, Jesus calls out specifically to Philip. And he says to Philip, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people so that they may eat. Now, we don't know why he called out Philip. Philip doesn't typically get called out. We don't see much of him in the scriptures here, but he gets called out in this instance. Maybe Philip was the one that was saying, look, everyone, we got to get him out. Maybe he was the ringleader. Maybe Jesus senses this, sees this, so he reaches out to him. But all we know, notice what it goes on to say in John's account, he said this to test Philip. Philip needed to be tested for some reason by the Lord. And so Jesus calls out to him. Jesus asks him where they can go and get enough bread to feed all of these people. Notice the word that is used in uh, verse 44, a little bit further down if you scan down. The word that is used is this great crowd. It talks about there in verse 44 is 5,000 men. Matthew tells us, and that was besides the women and the children that were there as well. And so we're talking 10,000, 12,000, maybe 20,000 people that are gathered there. Jesus says, where are we going to get enough food to feed these people? Now, Philip responds logically to the question, we're not going to be able to get enough food for the people. Jesus asks him a question, he answers the question. Where can we get enough food? We can't. Send them on their way. And it's a very logical answer from an earthly perspective. Notice what he goes on to say in the John passage. He says 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough to feed these people. Now you should know a denarii was a standard day's wage for a working man. Standard day's wage for a working man. So let's just say, I don't know how much you make in a particular day. Let's just say you happen to earn $100 in a given day. What he is saying there is 200 days wages would not be enough to feed these people. And if you did earn $100 a day as a day laborer, we're talking about $20,000. Anybody here have 20,000 bucks on them that you could pull out in an instant? No, none of us brought our checkbooks or our cash or whatever. 20,000 bucks, that's a lot of money. We don't have that kind of money, Lord. All right, and so he says, look, it'd be nice to feed all these people, but essentially, because of time constraints, it's getting dark, uh, and because these people are hungry now, we, we just don't have 20 grand. 
to put out there. And so you're asking us to do something that is impossible. Instinctively, it seems, Philip begins to immediately calculate the cost of the project. And it brings him to this place of concluding that what Jesus is asking is an impossible task. Now maybe, if he was given enough time, hey, this time next year, I want to have 20 grand so we can feed all these people. Maybe if given enough time, they could have done so. Remember old school, you put those thermometers on the wall and you color in to get up to the point and we've reached our goal. They could have done, if they had a thermometer, they could have done it. But it would just need time uh, in order to, to accomplish this here. And in light of those constraints, this idea of you give them something to eat, that's an impossibility. Now, one has to wonder if when Jesus says here, how much, uh, or Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Notice it goes on to say he knew what he was going to do. He himself knew what he would do. You have to wonder if Jesus sort of has a little smirk here, you know, as he's like, oh, I can't wait to see what they're going to say and how they're going to wrestle with this particular one. Because he knew what he was going to do. And he had spent the day, the afternoon at least, teaching the crowd many things. Now he was teaching his disciples some things. And Jesus says to them, this is his words, this is his lesson. He said, look, you saw the need, you meet the need. He says to him, you saw the need, you meet the need. And too often, I think we do this even. As disciples, we see the need, but we expect that God is going to have others meet the need. And Jesus says, look, it's getting late. The people need something to eat. He says to the disciples, what are you guys going to do about that? And once the disciples have seen the need of the crowd, the Lord at once lays upon them the responsibility of meeting that need. Be careful what you take notice of. I think one of the things that Pastor Scott Taransky, when he was here with us, he's not dead. Um, it sounds like he is. He's pastoring a fellowship in Robbinsville, Calvary Chapel. Uh, when Scott was with us, one of the things that many of us that had been around for a while began to take notice of is, don't suggest an idea to Scott. Because if you suggest an idea to Scott, he'll say, fantastic, you do that. And you're like, I don't want to do it. I wanted you to do it. That's why I was suggesting the idea. But, but Scott had a, a, a wisdom in him in knowing that if God begins to lay something on your heart so that you notice it, then God is perhaps raising you up to meet that need as well. It's very rare that God allows us to see a need without it being his plan to use us to meet that particular need. And so these disciples here, they saw the need. $20,000 wouldn't even be enough to meet the need. And that, those calculations, that's pretty accurate. It's about $4 a person or so just to feed the men. You probably need $20 to feed the men if they're teenagers, high school age. Um, and then all the ladies have to eat as well. And so those calculations are pretty accurate, probably even low. But one thing they forgot to, to add into the equation, and that was the presence of Jesus Christ on the scene. And without him in the equation, the command is impossible. But what the disciples should have recalled at this point was the many miracles Jesus had already done. And we've been studying Mark. We know many of the miracles. Remember, Jesus calmed a storm with just one word. Remember, Jesus delivered many from demon possession. He raised a little girl from the dead. You remember each of those miracles that he had done? Jesus had given them ample evidence of his ability to intervene into those scenarios which seemed to be impossible and to bring about a solution to that situation. But again, in their equation, or in Philip's equation here, and it does say in the other Gospels that all of them began to agree with Philip. All right, so it's the whole group of them. And in their equation, they didn't factor Jesus into this scene. 
And I think oftentimes that's what happens with you and I as well. Now, why is that? Why do we look to the Lord in certain situations, but not look to the Lord uh, in other situations? And I think part of the reason is because in many situations, even though the situation that we are dealing with might be impossible, we don't really see it as completely impossible. So for instance, here's what I mean. The little girl that had died, that was an impossible situation. There's absolutely nothing that I can do to assist with that, help with that. That's an impossible situation. My only hope in that circumstance is to go to Jesus. Now, a great crowd of hungry people in need of food and shelter? Well, that's a problem that I can solve if given enough time and enough resources to solve that problem. Do you understand where I'm going with this? There are some things that we look at that is truly impossible, and there are other things we're like, well, it's going to be super, super hard, but I can work hard enough and I can solve that particular problem. And so their solution then, in this instance, we don't have enough time, we don't have enough resources right now, their solution then is to send the people elsewhere. And I can't help but see here that this wasn't to them a God-sized enough problem for them. So they won't go to the Lord to solve the problem. They'll try and do it on their own, realize they can't, and send the people away. We do that. We come to, the, we come to God when the doctor says that cancer has spread and will almost certainly be terminal, but we rarely think of coming to him when it's just a cold or some other sickness that is pretty much treatable. We come to him in the former case because there's nowhere else to turn. We don't come to him in the latter case because if given enough time and resources, we'll figure it out for ourselves. What Jesus is showing these disciples is this, look, I want you to bring to me all of these things, each one of these things. And I also want you to know that as the need becomes evident to you, my plan is for you to meet that need. Look at verse 38. He goes on. He says, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? He says, go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Is there a Christmas bell? Is that in here? All right, let's move on. We know, now we know from John, his gospel, and, I th- and again, I think since it's in all four gospels, this is a helpful one to kind of jump back and forth and look at those other places there. What we learn is that one of the disciples, a man by the name of Andrew, that's Peter's brother, that he finds a little boy, and the little boy has five loaves and he has a couple of fish. Now, he doesn't have five big loaves of Italian bread or something like that. The, the loaves that it's referring to, it's a, it's a specific word, it, it's basically a dinner roll. All right, so this guy has five dinner rolls, and the fish, you know, are not big fish or whatever, they're sardine-sized fish. They're these tiny little um, fish that are, are found in that region there. So he's got five little dinner rolls and a couple of sardines. Somebody have suggested this might be enough for, this would be a little bit more than what an adult male would eat. Maybe a couple of males would share this together here. All right, so it's not that much. And so this boy has this little lunch. Now, I don't suspect that Andrew stole the lunch from the kid. I suspect that the kid came and said, well, I got a couple of things. Maybe he's nearby. Kid like, kids like to hang out nearby. We know Jesus would welcome them and so on. So maybe the kid hears what's going on. Jesus says something to the effect of, well, go see what you have. And this little kid says, well, I got five loaves and two fish. Andrew says, he's got five loaves and two fish or whatever. But notice, Andrew initially seems like that could do it. But then he's like, that's stupid. That's not going to do it. What I love about this little kid is he has just this simple faith. Every one of us, we would look at 5,000 people, 15,000 people, and we would know that our individual lunch is not going to feed these people, so we would never suggest the idea. 
But this little kid with simple faith, he doesn't calculate the foolishness of the offer. He just makes the offer. And as I said, Andrew seems to be swept up by it, but then quickly squashes the idea. And he adds there the words, but what are they among so many? Five loaves and two fish were about enough, as I said, to feed two people, not 20,000 people. And so Andrew quickly says, look, that was a dumb idea. Strike that from the record. I never added it. Don't put it in any of your Gospels. I didn't include those words there. Jesus said, five loaves, two fish, bring them to me. He says, bring them here to me. What they did have didn't seem like much, but Jesus took it. Took it. And Jesus worked a, a remarkable miracle here, as we see. Because in the hands of Jesus, even little is always plenty. And whereas you and I, we have all the reasons why nothing can be done. How are we going to reach this world around us? Look, we're not smart enough. As I look out amongst, no, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, I'm not, we say that to ourselves. Look, I'm not smart enough. I can't compete with some of the minds that are out there. We say things like, look, we just don't have enough resources. We really want to make an impact on others. We just don't have enough resources. We say the obstacles are too great. The cards, the deck, it's stacked against us. And we have all these reasons why nothing can be done. Jesus, however, he takes no regard for what we lack, and he asks the question, what do you have? And we conclude that we have little of talent or substance to give to Jesus. Jesus says, bring the talent you do have. Bring the substance you do have, and watch me work a miracle through it. In preparation this week, as I was thinking about things, I was thinking about the number of people in our community that is around us, Mercer County, Bucks County, some of the neighboring counties that are there. And I was thinking about the number of people in our community that don't know the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. According to the 2018 census estimate, there are approximately 370,000 people that live in Mercer County, New Jersey, and 630,000 that live in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So that's about a million people in those two neighboring counties crossing the river from one another, not to mention nearby Hunterdon County and south of us down into Burlington County, which are certainly not too far from us and within driving distance. If you add those two counties to the equation, the numbers in those four counties jump to about uh, 1.5 million people. 1.5 million people that live in Mercer, Bucks, Hunterdon, and in Burlington County many of which do not know the Lord and have not yet begun a relationship with the Lord. Now, in this room this morning, there's about 200 of us. There's about 200 of us in this room this morning. There's about 1.5 million in the area that surround us. 200 compared to 1.5 million. To quote the Lord, what are, or the, people, the disciples, what are they among so many? And what does Jesus say in that scenario? He says, bring them to me. Among so many... The temptation is to resolve ourselves to doing nothing. Jesus says, bring them to me, or in this case, he says, bring ourselves to him. There is no reason for a hopeless pessimism such as the disciples had in this scenario here. Because as we put ourselves into the hands of Jesus Christ, there literally is no telling what the Lord will not do or will do with us and through us. There's no reason for a hopeless pessimism. And I was, I was thinking about things. I did a little math problem. As I said, it's about 200 in this room. And, and this doesn't even count the Christians that go to solid churches that are all around this area. And there's plenty of them that do. But just us for now. 
There's about 200 of us here. If each one of us reached just one person this year, by this time next year, we would number 400 people. Good. If anyone needs a piece of paper, they're available in front of you here. And if in the following year, each one of those 400 people reached just one more, then in two years, it jumps to 800. And you keep playing that out. Over year four, it's 1,600. Year five, 3,200. Year six, 6,400. Keep playing that out. And in 10 years, this church of 200 people will have reached 204,800 people. Nearly a quarter of a million reached in 10 years by a church of only 200 people. And in only three more years after that, a relatively small church of 200 people will have reached 1,638,400 people more than the entire populations of Mercer County and Bucks County and Huntington County and Burlington County combined. 200 people. But what is that among so many? And Jesus says, bring them to me. Bring them to me. The Lord wants to use us in the lives of other people. And yet, oftentimes what happens is we look at the scope, the magnitude of what needs to be done, and we think, well, that's just impossible. We'll just huddle here and be good friends and that'll be fine. Jesus wants to use us. Now looking on, look at verse 39. It says, then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. He organizes this multitude. Jesus isn't interested in a mob of people. Jesus isn't going to yell out, come and get it. And everyone just sort of tackle themselves to get up front there. Rather, he tells the disciples, tell the people to spread out. Get all the people to sit down in nice orderly groups uh, of hundreds and of fifties. Now think about it for a moment. Just a moment ago, the, the, disciple, the disciples told Jesus, send the people away. In response to that instruction on their part to Jesus, Jesus said, no, have them all sit down. Now for them to have them all sit down as the sun is setting, and it's only going to get darker and darker by the minute here, for them that becomes an act of obedience. To make the people sit down is an act of obedience on their part because as far as they're concerned, all that Jesus has is five loaves and two fish. And so what's Jesus going to do with those five loaves and two fish? Break them up, give everyone a little teeny weeny little crumb and a little piece of the fish or something like that? Now you say, of course not, he's going to multiply it. And you didn't know that. They didn't know that. Nobody knew that. They didn't read the story. And so nobody knows what's going on. And as far as they know... This is setting things up because the people are going to be expecting something when they're told to sit down and Jesus is, uh, you know, what's he going to do? And so continues on here. He tells them to go sit down, get everyone to sit down ready for dinner. And he, he takes these now, these five loaves and these two fish. And he tells the disciples to be obedient and, or he tells them to do this and they are obedient. Now to be obedient in this instance, it requires faith on their part. It requires faith that Jesus knows what he is doing. And have you ever been in a circumstance where you're not sure if Jesus knows what he's doing? None of you? Sure you do. I remember when I, I applied for a job one time, and you know I was trying to be nice and good, and Lord, I trust you, and all this kind of stuff. And I wasn't getting the jobs that I was hoping for um, from out of college and things like that. And so then finally this job opportunity came and I was like, that's it. I see what the Lord's doing. The Lord is so good. He knew he's wise or whatever. And I went to this wonderful interview and I wowed him as you can imagine, uh, and all this stuff. And then I didn't get hired. The guy called me up. Hey, we thought you were great, but we decided to hire somebody else. And I was like, ah, that's great. I'm so happy for the other person. Uh, and I hung up the phone and I went, I was like, well, what are you doing? 
is this funny? Like, Lord, what is going on? And I was convinced that the Lord didn't know what he was doing in that circumstance, but the Lord knew exactly what he was doing. And his timing, it all sort of worked out, but I didn't know that. We didn't, I didn't read Mark chapter 6, like these disciples here. I don't know what he is doing. And so for them, their faith, uh, their obedience is going to require faith. In addition, their faith is going to require they take a risk. All right? And so it's not always easy to step out in faith. The risk is to tell all the people to sit down expectantly, which is what he does here. Because now, if he gets them all to sit down and nothing happens, then they got to go back and say, okay, everybody now get up and go, or whatever here. And they're going to look pretty foolish now if no miracle takes place, because stepping out requires taking a risk. Verse 41, and so taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing, and he broke the loaves, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate, and they were satisfied. Jesus had said, bring them to me. And the result is that the multitudes are fed. But notice, they're not just fed. Look at Mark 6 there says, they were satisfied. They were filled, I think some version said. That word satisfied, it means they were glutted. To be glutted is where you are convinced, I cannot eat another bite until the dessert tray comes, and then I'll figure it out then. But it's where you cannot get another bite into your body. That's what it says that they were. They were glutted. And whereas the disciples might have thought Jesus was only going to give them a little teeny morsel of bread and a little piece of the fish, Jesus gives them so much that they are filled. John says, in his version of this, he says that each one of them ate as much as they wanted. And so when, they, when the disciples kind of went back, is everybody good? I'll take a little more. And they ate as much as they wanted. Jesus provided abundantly for these people. But I want you to notice something. He provides abundantly, but he provides dinner rolls and sardines. He doesn't provide them steak and lobster, necessarily. If they're Jews, they couldn't have had the lobster, um, but I'm sure he could have miraculously made it kosher in their instance there. But he doesn't provide them with steak and lobster. He provides them with bread and some fish. Jesus gave the people what they needed, not necessarily what they wanted. He met their need. And when Jesus provides for our needs, don't be surprised if his provision is a simple provision. And so don't get upset if when you know you need that car you're praying for you get a toyota not a tesla all right the toyota will get you where you need to and it'll do so safely and economically and you'll be pleased so notice that first off jesus provided abundantly but he did so simply notice also how jesus distributed these provisions now jesus could have i'm sure we all agree he could have had the people sit down close all right but close your eyes extend out your hands and then miraculously had food pop up in their hands, right? Would we all agree that he could do that? He certainly could have done that, but he doesn't do it that way. Instead, he has the people sit down, then he has the disciples come to him and get platters of food or whatever it might be, baskets of food, and then they run that to the people. He has the disciples disseminate the pieces of bread and fish to the people. He gave the provision to the disciples and had them give it out to the people. And so, sure, Jesus can miraculously impact our world without our involvement in any way he chooses to. But in actuality, he's almost always going to use his disciples as avenues of his miraculous provision. 
That's the norm. The norm is for Jesus to work supernaturally, that would be the miracle, but through the natural, which is you and I. He works supernaturally in a natural way by sending us forth to reach the masses. As I said earlier, aside from the resurrection, this account of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only other miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Something about it just resonated with the disciples. It made an impact on the disciples that when they were deciding, remember Luke said in one of his places, if you took all the things that Jesus had done, the libraries of the world couldn't contain you know, all that stuff. And so something about this particular event caused each one of the disciples to say, make sure you get this account. Uh, of this feeding of the 5,000. So based on that fact, it seems to me that the miracle made a big impression on them. Look what Jesus can do as we make ourselves available to him. Going on to verse 43, it says, they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And so not only was there enough for everyone to be satisfied, there was enough for the disciples in the end to collect leftovers. And notice it says that they picked up 12 baskets one for each of the disciples. These baskets, that term basket there, it refers to uh, essentially like a lunch pail. So this isn't some huge basket, it's a small basket that you might put your lunch in and carry your lunch with you. And each one of the disciples, they, grant, they get, are able to get enough for themselves, 12 basketfuls it said. So if all the people in attendance were hungry, is it a stretch to assume that the disciples were hungry as this day began? Certainly they, they were. I would be. I'm always hungry. <laughs> and you couple that, so they're hungry, and you couple that with this supposed to be a day that they were to have off, a day of rest, a day to relax, and I suspect the disciples were not only hungry, but are you familiar with this word? They were hangry as well. You've been there. You know what that's like. That's why you need a Snickers, that commercial. Uh, you're not yourself when you're hungry. They were hangry. But the Lord provided for them. Of these 15,000 people, 12 baskets, 12 lunch-sized baskets for the 12 disciples. My takeaway is this. Jesus knows how to meet the needs of his laborers. In a little while uh, ahead of us in our gospel, study of the Gospels, the disciples will come to Jesus and they'll say, will you teach us how to pray? You pray so well. Teach us how to pray. And during that prayer, we call it the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. During that prayer, Jesus says, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. That's what Jesus is doing here. And so the disciples likely ate with the others as they were eating. And this basket was going to be their daily bread for the day that was ahead of them, for the next day there. He provided for their physical need. Now, what's more miraculous, do you think? The feeding of the 5,000 or providing the daily bread of these disciples the next day? What would you say? They're both miracles. They're both miracles. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to trick you. All right, here, bam, where's Will? Is he here? Uh, they're both miracles. I think some have, someone has called this an unmiraculous miracle. It's God's provision but it doesn't seem real big like a feeding of the 5,000. And I think the same sort of miracle happens in our lives as God provides for our needs, but we don't notice it. It's just something we have come to expect. Feeding 5,000 is a miracle. Uh, in the same way, so too is the daily provision of our daily bread, because the Lord is faithful. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's this little uh, 
video thing that's floating around on social media. My wife, I believe she posted it on her, her thing. And so if you can find her thing, then you can find this particular video. Um, but it's about this, uh, this guy who wakes up and he's all wrapped in Christmas paper. Uh, and then as he comes out of the Christmas paper, I don't want to give the whole story away, it's riveting. Uh, as he, uh, he comes out of his Christmas paper, his children are wrapped in Christmas paper. And then he goes into the bathroom and the running water is wrapped in Christmas paper and the, the refrigerator is wrapped in Christmas paper in his car. And, and what he's coming to realize is everything in his life is a gift from God. You know, even his life as he wakes up, that's why he's wrapped in Christmas paper, uh, and so on and so forth. And God's provision in our lives. Obviously, uh, this week we're going to be giving thanks for all that the Lord has provided. And he may not have provided for each of us as much as, you know, some of the billionaires of the world or the millionaires of the world or the people that make more money than we do. But look how many gifts the Lord has given us. Amen. Amen. You know, and I'll just be honest here. One of the greatest gifts God has given me is you guys. You're a blessing. And I love this church. And I love the fellowship that we enjoy. You be quiet. And I love the fellowship that we enjoy with each other. God is faithful. And so with that, we have the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. It's an important miracle. And it reminds us that God can work through us as we make ourselves available to him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you're good. You're faithful. You love us. You stretch us at times. And you do so for our good. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be like the disciples, even if reluctantly, that we would be obediently responding to your leading. Lord, we pray that we would, uh, as we're being stretched through the circumstances of life, particularly those circumstances that we feel we can handle this on our own. We don't really need you for this one, but we'll get back to you when we do. Lord, I pray that we would learn, Lord, to bring all things to you, that you might do what you do. Lord, as you said to your disciples, bring those to me, and Lord, look what you did. And so, Father, we present ourselves to you in a fresh way this morning, Lord, that you would work in our lives and through our lives for your, for your glory. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like more information about the church, please visit ccmercer.com or come worship with us in Ewing, New Jersey on Sundays at 10 a.m.